Welcome to the Infinite Life Podcast. I'm your host, Katish Haberfield. I am an intuitive sound healer and a past life regression therapist. This free podcast will provide a combination of solo and guest episodes around the theme of the infinite nature of human life. For you are a spiritual being in a human body who has never died, just changed costumes from life to life in order to have experiences that helps your soul grow and expand. This podcast is for you if you wish to make sense of your life by understanding your past, present and future incarnations. My hope is that this podcast helps you weave together strands from all lifetimes so that you can make peace with your journey and understand that you are a perfect expression of your soul in this moment, in this incarnation. Welcome back to The Infinite Life. This week we have got a really exciting episode for you. We have a past life insight from one of our guest listeners and this one's a really fun past life. Well, I think it is anyway. And then we have Scott Olgren come on to the podcast. Now, if you listen to the last episode, he was the gentleman who left me the message about the importance of understanding the infinite nature of life and the fact that our souls are eternal and the impact that that had on his career. Now, without spoiling the episode, Scott is the CEO and owner of Synaptic Scientific, which is a plant-based company. And he produces a plant-based brain tonic or nootropic. Um, and you can find out about him at synapticscientific.com. This is an interesting episode because we talk in here about how Scott first discovered that he was infinite, that he was not just a body, that his body changed over time and over lives, and that the eyes with the connection, the part that stays the same across all lifetimes. It's a fascinating, fascinating discussion and a little different angle to um, understanding and getting past life insights. So we've been talking a lot about past life regression, but this is the plant way. So without spoiling the episode, let's get into it. I try to be as quiet as possible and listen as much to what Scott has to say, because this is not a dinner party. And if I was sitting down at a dinner party with Scott, we would be chatting for hours. I can tell you that now. But we're on a podcast and it's my intention to learn and to understand everybody's journey and impart the things about my guests that I find inspiring to ask questions that help you understand that there are many ways to find out about the infinite nature of your soul and to really grasp that life is eternal. So grab that cuppa and let's get into this episode. Hi, I'm Cindy from Melbourne, Australia, and I wanted to share with you a um, past life um, uh, 
that was revealed to me and uh, what it uncovered about uh, behaviours that I have uh, while driving. So I um, had an Akashic Records session and uh, a past life that was revealed to me was that I was a male and a chariot racer and a very successful chariot racer um, back in the time. Um, and uh, upon further reflection of this and discovery of this, um, it revealed to me why I uh, drive the way I do uh, when I'm in traffic. Uh, when there are other vehicles and everything around, I do not like being uh, surrounded in any way by cars um, or trucks, etc. Um, and I always try to make sure that I am out in front of them all. Um, and this comes back to this uh, life as a uh, chariot racer where the safest position to be on the track was always out in front. Um, you were less likely to get injured or um, uh, have an accident or, uh, yeah, etc. by being in that front front position um, on the on the racetrack and uh I always feel much more uh, safe on the roads in that same position, uh, which I thought was a uh, funny realisation. Um, and uh, my husband would always say to me, uh, whenever I'm trying to get into that front position on the road, there's no need to hurry, you know, we're not in a rush or anything. And I would say to him, I know, but I just need to be in the open. It was just something that continually went on. And now there's an explanation for why I have this urge to, to do that. So that's my, um, that was my understanding and uh, experience. Thanks, Cindy. Chariot race, eh? I think that's pretty darn cool. How about you? And just a little secret. Next week, on next week's episode, we have got a special insight into the animal kingdom. Spirit guides in the form of animals. And our friend Cindy knows a lot about that. So don't forget to tune in next week to listen to that episode. have a very special guest today and his name is Scott. Scott Olgren. Is that how I pronounce it, Scott? Yes, correct. perfect. You got my name correct immediately with not even knowing who I was on the podcast recorder <laughs> and I was so impressed because Katish is not an easy name to actually pronounce, you know, sight unseen. So that was just like this man gets a million bonus brownie points already. <laughs> so thanks for coming on the show today, Scott, and for oh, listeners. You're 
Listeners, in the last episode, um, Scott left me a voice message on the podcast recorder. And I tell you, it, it made my day because he basically gave me a thumbs up for the work that we're doing in this podcast and for, I guess, encouraging people to think about the continuation of human life and the um, eternal nature of our soul and our soul's journey. So thank you for that, Scott. So, Mm. Scott, let's start with um, why did you um, feel that you wanted to give me some encouragement? Like what is the background to um, contacting me and what it is about your story that you think it's important for other people to think about you know, that the fact that they might not die and it be the end when they get buried or cremated? Well, good question. I, I'm not, I, I'm, I naturally would not, I don't listen to a lot of podcasts about past lives. It's, I don't even read about it that much anymore. Uh, but I think it could be a, a couple of things. Number one, I'm, I'm uh, 65 years old now. And it really is true that as you get older, you start to have a sense of even a stronger sense of where am I holding back? Because, you know, at some point, none of this is going to matter. You know, are there things that are they're important that you need to talk about? And I think the second thing is the, oh, what's occurred in my own country. And, you know, it might, it might be the, the political landscape here, the strong, strong black and white divisions that have been occurring that shocked everybody, uh, you know, in my own country here. And then, of course, on top of that, why not throw in a pandemic and all of the twists and turns that that has done? Uh, but that got, when I saw your and I saw what you were doing and then I saw some of the things and then just your whole your whole being. And I just thought, God, this is the, this is what the world needs is what is missing to me is that sense of bigger than one's own physical body, one's own egocentric point of view. And, and then it just made me reflect on why am I different in that way, you know, and, and I thought about my own powerful experiences um, 40 years ago, even longer. And I thought, and the people I hang out with that have had similar, extraordinarily expansive past life kind of vibe to them. And that once you have that experience in a very visceral undeniable sense, then everything changes. And I will say, it's interesting, we were talking a little bit about religion before we hopped on, because you had been, one of your past uh, uh, interviews was with a Mormon person. I'm actually very, I wouldn't say ardently anti-religion, but it bothers me any kind of fixed set of rules that don't allow you to think outside of that box. I, I have my whole life been fascinated by uh, cults and cult thinking and how it happens and why it happens and to whom it happens and then the process of getting out of it and what a a cult thinking is. I wish there was a better term. I'm sure there is, but it's basically any kind of entrapped 
cosmology that has it, that part of its cosmology says you are a sinner if you think outside of this cosmology or you're an idiot. When in fact, once you have an experience of past lives and uh, something that happened that uh, that occurred to me before this lifetime, and I think is even occurring in, in even beyond this. Then it those types of boxes that are classically designed like a religion are uh, they 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 make they, they're upsetting because you you they stop asking the questions and somebody up on high with a certain type of robe or generally they're the old men you know which really pisses me off you know they they're the ones telling you and wagging their fingers saying we know what the 10 rules are we know what the six rules are and the tenets here and all and that stuff has always upset me deeply and it actually is why i think what has been happening in my own country the last few, uh, you know, six, seven years has been more upsetting because it has that vibe. It has all of the earmarks of cult thinking, right. people trapped inside of a certain way of thinking that only is only white, black, right, wrong, uh, and then unaware of their own thinking process. So all of that is is what has been on my mind and my own my own work, my own design work in strong plant medicine, neurotropics, uh, nutraceuticals. That has been my career for the last few decades. Well, somehow when I saw what you were doing, I realized this is helping what I'm trying to do. This is this is part of the solution. It's about returning to the awe and having that awe experience somehow of this is so much bigger than what you think. Because you can't think, I don't think, in the trap mind when you've had the experiences, Katish, that you've had. You can't. You, there's, you have that more, that sense of awe and wonder around the mystery of life because it came, it had so much depth before me and so much depth afterwards. So that's a heck of a long answer to that question. <laughs> um, now tell me this feeling <laughs> about religion. I just want to dive into that for a second because um, I can tell you my perspective, but sometimes when you have a really um, strong interest in say like that cult like framework and the, the personal looking at a situation and thinking this is crazy this this whole religion thing and religions are becoming undone as we speak but did you have a strong family upbringing in religion that has made you then as an adult think oh I don't agree with what I was taught or do you think that you had a role in a previous life that was in a strong religious context that has made you in this life go yeah no no, religion's not for me in this life yeah, I think I think I think it's more the latter. I think it is actually the the latter. Yes, in other words, it, it I didn't have a strong religious upbringing. I'm uh, here in America. If you come from the Midwest, a lot of the Midwestern states are uh, kind of uh, they're more Lutheran, Methodist, which are pretty kind of considered, hey, everyone, we should all get along kind of religions. Yeah. And they're very yeah. loosely structured. But even at, 
and, and I came from a very small farm town, population yeah. 2,100 people. Okay. Um, uh, we weren't farmers, but it was, you know, very, 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 there was, everything was far and in between. We were maybe 25 miles outside of uh, Milwaukee, Wisconsin. So it, it just had a small town, very small town feel to it. And I wasn't exposed to anything alternative at all. So everything was really in the back of my mind going, this isn't, there's something off here. I want to explore something further. And I still have a very strong memory of my mom. She, we lived right next to the Methodist church and my mom, you know, having us go to Sunday every day. And I just hated it, hated it, hated it. And I was not a radical kid, like, you know, or or real, you know, against my parents, I think, but in eighth grade, they have something I think called confirmation. It's sort of like in that church. I don't even know exactly all what it meant, but I remember, you know, for, Every Sunday, me going, God, mom, I hate this. And she said, okay, well, look, at the end of eighth grade here, it's just getting real close. You can make a decision, you know, and if you go to this, you know, go to that, that confirmation, pre-confirmation stuff. And at the end of it, you don't want to do it. You, you can do, you don't have to do that. And oh my gosh, that was the first time. Cause I remember that meeting with the minister or pastor, whatever they're called. And eighth you know, eighth grade, what is that? 12 years old. And I'm sitting with arms crossed and he says, so, okay, you know, you ready? And I said, no, this is it. I'm done. (laughs) So even back then. And so I do think it is, has something more to do with way before I, I got in here. Cause I actually think, and I've had, you know, friends who know me well say you were probably one of those abusive people that was a priest (laughs) or something, you know, way back there telling people what to do. And I might, agree with that. I don't have a memory of it, but I think that's part of a lot of past lives. It's one of the last thoughts as you're dying is never again. Hmm. You do make vows, never again. Never again. Yeah. And what about then when you were, um, because you left a message on my on the podcast recorder that you you came to Australia and you traveled widely. Did you also travel to different countries that exposed yourself to different religious beliefs? Like, did you go to India or anywhere in Asia um, to help with that awakening process in terms of understanding that there are multiple points of view about the world and what God is, who God is, what is God called like and the introduction to the belief of reincarnation? Did you get exposed that way? Or how did you get introduced to the concept that perhaps life might go on? Um, well, you know, it was never a, next, a real foreign idea. It wasn't something I ever thought, boy, I'm really against that. Yeah. It's just I didn't have a real physical experience of it, you know, a real uh, embodied experience of it until later on. I, I uh, early on, I... Oh, I came from a family of uh, five kids and I was the second oldest. And, and I don't know what was in our genes, but we all were travelers. We were all, we couldn't wait to open the gates and get the heck out of Dodge. Yep. And my sister did it literally the day after she graduated. She was a year, two years older than me. And we all sat and wow, that is so cool. And I followed her. My brother followed me. My sister followed me, my younger brother. I mean, we all just scattered to the, you know, the four winds. And me in particular, uh, what really gave me solace growing up and, you know, not being a sports guy and being kind of shy 
was travel books. And I locked yeah. onto those things like, like they were food, like they were medicine. And I thought that's who I want to be. So I didn't know how I was going to do it, but um, I dropped out of college real quickly. I mean, my, my dad, you know, small town, I graduated in 1974. You basically back then you either work in a local factory here mm. or you go and get a college education. That was it. Those were that was kind of the the either or. It was never it was never said that way, but you kind of figured that out. And my dad had an engineering degree, but he quickly switched over into whatever he was, you know, uh, business he was in or whatever he was working for. He was good at the sales part. So they would send him out and he would come back and we would wake up at two o'clock in the morning as my dad was driving in and, you know, we'd go, wow, where'd you go? You know? And back then, of course, he's like, yeah, I went to Indiana. I went to <laughs> Ohio. <gasps> you went to Florida, you know? And that's like the, wow. And for those, you know, it, well, you guys know now, but I mean, there would have been like, uh, I don't know, you traveling to say uh, Brisbane, yeah. Whoa, <laughs> you know, far yeah. away, or you crossed the Nullabar Desert. Whoa, you went to yeah. Earth. And so that was what it was. And I was just like, oh, that's who I want to be. But I, I quickly realized I couldn't understand college at all. And so I, I dropped out and I uh, I started working at ski areas and things like that. And then I got an opportunity to become a learn carpentry in what was, I guess, kind of our version of the outback, which is Wyoming. Okay. And okay. Wyoming and Montana are like the Wild West. They still are. They still are. Even now, you know, they're, they're not that populated. It's really, you know, it's kind of the, it's the cowboys out there. And I loved it. And I learned, I picked it up really quickly. I bought an old house with the help of my dad at 20 years old. I mean, an old house. This is, you know, like it's falling apart. Fixed it up. A year and a half later, I had enough money to do what I've been wanting to do since I was 16 years old, which is travel around the world, hitchhike around the world. That, back okay. then, that yep. was the way. Yep. So oh, that's yeah, what yeah. it was. I got, I got really deep into traveling. So it, it wasn't so much I was looking for religion. I was just wanted, I, I love people. I wanted to be in front of different types of people. I wanted to see as many types of people as possible. And that's kind of how you know, I got to started getting exposed to different groups. Interesting. You mentioned Australia because I, I hadn't thought about this, but I actually met two kind of new agey type of groups uh, while I was out there in Australia. And I was open to all of it, but I also could see, you know, while I was in these workshops and things like that, that it wasn't really like I wanted to join them. It was just interesting being around people that were exploring their minds, you know, and this, and so I was like, yeah, let's do that. Let's, let's, so yeah. So I want to ask you, because um, you said that you were in Coolum, which is on the Sunshine Coast. Yeah. Now, not far from Coolum is something that is where I had my first past life revelation, which is Chenrezig Buddhist Institute. Now, that wow. started in about, I think it was 1974, Lama Zopa Rinpoche and Lama Yeshe came from Tibet, of all places, to establish um, a institute in Australia. And so would have been pretty radical back in 1975, 1980. I think they were around for 10 or so years and it's still running today um, to see Buddhist monks, Tibetan ones of all, um, in the Sunshine Coast. And I was wondering if that was happened to be by any coincidence. Was it, that, was it, do you remember the name of the town that was in? Was it like Maruchidor? Um, so Maruchidor's not far at 
the Buddhist Institute set up in the hinterland in uh, just near Malaney. Malaney. Yeah, um, but I, I don't know, you know, um, they might have done their talks. I, had, I, hadn't, I hadn't been in touch with them. But, you know, there were a lot of everyone I was bumping into, the type I was looking into, were kind of, you know, they were spiritual seekers. So it was just yeah. really being exposed to a lot of it. And in fact, when I landed in Perth, I would had lived, I, I wound my way down through Africa and I was spending a year in Africa. And then when I finally, uh, and, and in fact, I was trying to sail from South Africa over to Perth. And then, you know, oh. then I, someone, someone said, whoops, no, the winds yeah. don't go that way, you know, <laughs> unless you go down to the roaring 40, but I still went 92 days out on a 41 foot sloop. Uh, out around Madagascar and those islands, Mar Reunion, Mauritius, uh, gosh, the Comores, the Seychelles, North Ed I mean, we went all around those islands. Uh, but eventually, you know, we got back and I was like, okay, can't do it that way. I'll just fly. You know, <laughs> they do have planes, Scott. So I flew over to uh, Perth. And then immediately headed down south. I didn't know anybody, but I was headed down south because they said that it was really beautiful down there in, is it Margaret River? Yes, Margaret River, beautiful. Yep. Oh, my God. I, I saw the largest sea creature I ever saw in my life down there while I was snorkeling out to this break where I would body surf with these other guys that I had met. It, was a, it had to have been a, I don't know, 17, 18-foot manta. Uh, oh, ray. okay. Wow, yeah. Well, Oh my God! It's still I, that bit that was that manta ray stayed in my dreams for years and years and years. It was that powerful of an experience. Anyways, while I was down there, I bumped into some sannyasins, I think is what they were called, uh, which was a part of a group with um, uh, I don't know. He, he he they eventually imploded quite badly a few years later. Yeah. But at the time, it was like cool. These are interesting people. They're all wearing orange clothes, and I thought, yes, okay, yeah. yeah okay. You know. Yeah. So, but, but that wasn't really, you know, I wasn't looking for a religion. I wasn't looking, it was just more interesting to be around people like you and I are, you know, it's just interesting yeah. people who are open-minded and things. So that was really my, my okay. the start of that exploration. So how long after you went traveling, did this first uh, understanding of a past life come? Like, was it the, did the travels kind of sort of set the scene of opening the mind and exposing you to new people and new cultures, and new ideas that facilitated perhaps the brain to go to start shifting and to open or how did it happen for you? Like, yeah. Tell us your story. I, yeah. Well, uh, one of the last jobs I had before I started that trip was to work at a ski area and, and it was back then they did night skiing, which was actually really, really cool. They probably still do night skiing some places in the world, but it's really neat. It's, it's like, it's a whole different experience. You know, they light up the, with giant, you know, very bright lights and you, and it, but it, you're in the mountains at night. So anyways, that's when I would work oftentimes. And there was this guy that was, you know, remember I'm in my early twenties, mm. but there was a guy that had just gotten back from his own three-year trip. And he was like uh, an, an Adonis to me. I was just like, Oh, I got to hear this guy's stories. And we ended up working together. Just he and I, we would open up the ski shop and I would talk to this guy, Carl. And, uh, I became like this interviewer. And I think he was a little stunned at first, like, you know, why are you asking me 
questions over and I really unpeeled his trip. And I was like, you know, and I didn't have a microphone, but it's like, and then what happened? And then what'd you do? And oh, I'll go back to that. How did you do that? And how did you get over there? And what did you do here? And how did you get through that border? And where did you find that? And you said you were, you got a job. How did you get a job? I thought you needed to be, you know, you had a work permit. And he was out there. I mean, he went into places that you were not supposed to be able to go, but he was that kind of a guy. But through that experience and through that winter, we had four months together, you know, every night we'd sit, once we got everybody's, you know, skis all prepared, we'd have like three hours where no one would come into the shop. Well, I, I remember at one time turning, how did you, how did you, how, why aren't you, you know, you come from Nebraska, the farmland. How come you're not a farmer? How come you're not an engineer? How come you're not? And he said, oh, well, it was, um, a couple of powerful experiences. Okay. And, and he was, you know, 12 years older than me. And basically he told me about a book that had been written a few years ago. Uh, it was called the Tibetan book of the dead, or it was a translation mm-hmm. of the Tibetan mm-hmm. book of the dead by, I think the writers might've been Timothy Leary, a few others. I wasn't so much in reading the book. I want to know what his experience was. And he said, basically in there, he says, through the use of, psilocybin mushroom that was his thing and it lays out a pathway to do it and i at the time i was like really i i was pretty straight laced guy you know in high school and oh that makes a lot of sense and i I was kind of suspicious at first of it because i thought Mm. well you know i thought i thought that those experiences would be like getting drunk and they weren't real they weren't, you know, they, they, all they did was alter you. And then, you know, you saw colors and okay, well, how useful is that? And it was really through Carl's deep detailed experience of the way he, the way that book described to him and how you do it. And basically it was this way of do of, of basically the whole thing was about experiencing your so-called death. And I remember asking, you know, thinking, why would anyone want to experience your death? It'd be like, you know, killing yourself and going, well, what's valuable in that? But what it is, is the death of the ego, the death of what you of of way it feels as if you are dying. And then what is revealed to you in that process. Mm. Um, And he was he was an extremely brave guy. He's still alive. I'm still in contact with him. But. He had, and I, and as a, as a young man, that, I mean, what that can do for a young man is to meet someone else who is mentally and psychically and spiritually strong is, I suppose I'm not into sports, but I suppose it's it's like the effect when someone who's into sports meets someone who's a, what a quarterback or a big, you know, a football player or basketball player, whatever it is, it had that effect on me. It's like, I want to be that. I want to be that brave to do what he did through that experience. And his in his telling of the story was so impactful to me that I thought, okay, one of these days, I when it's right, I'll know when it's right. I just feel it. I'll do that experience of you take a what's called a heroic dose of these mushrooms. I didn't know where to get them, you know, <laughs> but you light a candle, you do it in the 
when it's starting to get dark so and you do it in a quiet setting you know it's context it has to be real set up you put on music and then there's a candle and then you put a mirror in front of you and basically you're staring at your eyes over the tip of that mirror and it was a whole thing and i remembered every single detail of it because i never had to con in fact i lost contact with carl for 12 years after that this is pre-internet so you know it's like what well, you yeah, know I, you lose an address you yep. lose addresses, you lose a phone number. It's like, well, there's somewhere in the earth, but I don't know where. I knew, I think he's in Nebraska. I could, he had a weird spelling of his last name. I misspelled yep. it. Anyways, I get back from that three-year hitchhiking trip around the world. I'm completely, I'm completely different. And I'm, I'm realizing, I, oh, and while I was there, while I was out there, one of the things that it really got turned on to was the whole natural movement, and especially around food. I'd always had kind of an inkling that, but that was, and it was actually in Australia. This is interesting. I never thought there was going to be an Australian connection here. Okay. But while I was there, I met people who were, who taught me that, look, man, your the the diet disease diet health connection is is it there's there's you know sure there's movement there's breathing there's you know you got to stay fit but that's basically it and i came from a world that had no you know i was mcdonald's and bologna cheese <laughs> you know white bread mm -hmm. so it was a revelation so when i got back i went that's the direction i want to go i don't know how to do it i don't know if there's a school or what but anyways that was what i was starting to look for and so when i got back I, uh, uh, the economy had gone to heck. I, you know, so I couldn't make money or do anything. So I ended up back in, in a small town in Colorado and, and, uh, I started running. Uh, oh, when I was in South Africa, I met, I met a friend who, uh, was an ultra marathoner and I'd never run in my life. I mean, I, I remember the first time we went off a run, I had what I called, they're called, uh, Keds high tops, you know, that's what I was traveling in. You know, they're, they're like flop, flop, flop. You know, there was no running shoes, none of that. But I went out and I, he turned me on and I actually ran a half marathon while I was living in Durban, South Africa. Wow. When I got back, I wanted to pick it up again. And, and so I got a, anyways, I got a job at a restaurant. I, and, and, you know, I mean, there was nothing going on. I'm 27 years old. I'm going, oh my God, look at me. I'm broke again. And, and like, how, what do I do? And there was no work to be found. But, I had all these skills that I had developed. And then one of them was walking into, you know, a, a place of, of possible um, it, hiring and saying, you need to hire me. And that's what I did. So I ended up after four or five months running this restaurant on the ski area. Uh, and during the night, I would go out for these long runs. And it was during that time that I thought, uh, you know, I'm ready to do that experience that Carl taught me about. So, you know, how it is, you got to find someone who like, do you know anything about these mushrooms? So yeah. I found someone and okay. I set it up and I proceeded to do it. And it, and had I not had that education, uh, mm. I get totally why people b bounce against it and come out. And all it does is frighten you because you are faced it, it, with your worst fears that you've ever mm. seen. But the whole, the whole, the whole purpose of the, of that book, of that technique was to learn how to see fear as nothing but an illusion. Mm. And so you're looking at your eyes, you're looking over this candle, the, this plant is allowing you to access 
things that we normally can't see as a normal human being. You know, if you look at the electromagnetic spectrum, you know, we if you ever do, when when you ever look at the entire spectrum, it shows, and, and you know, it shows it starts with I forget ultraviolet, and then goes all the way up to radiation or whatever, and then it shows right in the middle this tiny one sixteenth of an inch, what a, a you know like a centimeter, and it's like visible light to humans. Yeah, yeah. and I always loved that. Yeah, because right there you just go. Oh, are you saying that my perceptions as a human may not be the be all and end all <laughs> to, you know, existence? And that's kind of what the plant does. Yeah. The plant allows you to crack open that tiny 16th of an inch. And it starts to do this. And as it does this, you are made aware of dimensions and light and dark that you are not able to perceive. Well, imagine the first time a human experiences that, it can completely put you into fear. Hmm. I mean, I mean, talking, you know, that kind of fear, like you've ever been in like, an, uh, you know, like a roller coaster. You come over and, yeah. and there's a part where your entire limbic system says, you're dead. It's too late. It's you're gone, you know, and your life, it's that type of fear. Yeah. And that was happening from the moment that it started to come on. Okay. So if you didn't, if I had not had Carl's uh, modeling what psychic bravery is and what spiritual bravery is, I would have completely freaked out. But it's a breathing technique that is so simple. You just breathe. You just have to bring yourself back to breath. And you're constantly looking at your eyes because your eyes are the only thing that don't change. Yes. Mm. Everything else. and and. You have to forgive me because it's... No, you're all right. You know, as, of course, as I'm, t I'm telling this story, it's, I start to, you know, myself you start it, to unlock, yeah. you relive it as, as I'm sure you have, as you start to talk about those experiences, you, the, everything lines up again and you're mm. starting to see that, you know, everything comes into focus. And it is that, that, that the first time that awe of, oh my God, my eyes, uh, uh, they, they, they are continuing through all the illusions. Somehow the optic nerve allows you to see it's the one stable thing of the experience and everything else is just illusion. It's, it yeah. is the perceived roller coaster. It's the perceived boogeyman. It's the perceived, uh oh, there's death. Uh oh, there's this. There's a horror monster. There's everything around it that it's almost as if the, there's a part of the, the human mind that says you shouldn't go there because you're not going to be able to handle it. So what I'm going to do is put up boo and ooh and ah and all of that. And it's very real. It feels very real to you, but by stare, by breathing and looking into your eyes and your eyes become the windows of this, uh, not only your soul, but the whole thing. And so you have this extraordinary uh, dichotomy between it's, it's hard to say because you fall in love with your own eyes, 
Mm. Uh, you know, because it, because you're seeing that be also the amount of self-love that pours out of it is, is that's really one of the first things that happens. And I don't know if someone had asked me before that, do you love yourself? I go, yeah, yeah, I'm fine. I'm cool. Yeah. I would yeah. really would have said it, you know I'm like? Yeah, no. I'm cool. I, I like myself, but when you feel that kind of self-love, it's that's where all of a sudden you start to feel like this is bigger than me. And yet I'm it. And yet it's bigger than me. And, but I'm, you know, and you, you, you put it all of a sudden as the boogeyman be, and the whole, what's fascinating too, is that if any time uh, one particularly strong negative emotion comes up, it's really easy to suddenly What's that? And you look away and then you get caught up in the fear. And, yes. you know, uh, like I would lay down and, and it'd be like, you know, I, I was be absolutely in a catatonic state of fear. And then I'd hear Carl's voice saying, that's where you just take a breath and come back up. And I mean, I, it would rock. I mean, so anyways, these are five hour journeys okay wow that's intense yeah you you would think like oh i'm really tired i gotta take a break no you have so much energy to do this it's the only thing that matters for your life right now and i did a series of these trips as as he had said you do a series like one every two weeks three weeks and you do them like four or five four or five of them spaced out over a few months time and that's really where i I mean, you leave those experiences completely changed. You know, you, you may not be, I mean, we, it's not like you go, oh, I figure out life. It's not that, <laughs> but you're left with an awe and a deep, deep respect for whatever it is that we're involved with. And in fact, anytime someone then comes and tries to tell you, like this is again, my my irritation with religion is when someone says, oh, Hey, let me tell you how it is. I, I just want to punch him in the nose. <laughs> it's because you are so arrogant. You've lost how big this is. You, none of us, none of us, none of us can grasp really the whole big picture. But that that's not the objective here. It's to to look around and see all of our fellow humans as part of like, wow, look at this. And then suddenly. You know, if it hadn't happened before that, the tone of your skin, that you know, the color of your skin becomes as idiotically stupid and irrelevant. You know, as a as picking up one grain of sand on the shore and picking up another, and that's really what it turns you into is a citizen of the world and a. Yeah. So you know, you ask me why I wrote that note to you that's why so when you went into this experience because uh, i have to give it to you following instructions and doing things precisely you know a lot of people can have ideas that they want to do something but they'll like do step one and then they'll get sidetracked and not come back and do step two, three, and four. So huge kudos to you that you followed the instructions and you did the experience. Mm. And you, you know, did it at a time when you trusted that you knew what you were doing. It wasn't like a whim on a Friday night. I'm going to do this now. Like um, it was a intention that you had set a long time before. And so you waited for the, the right timing to do it. 
And in this experience, when you experienced that you were not just of this body, of this suit, is that did in that session then, is that when you got a glimpse of who you were in another lifetime? And is there anything there that um, you were comfortable in sharing with uh, what you experienced in terms of because I, I do past life regressions for people. So we, we go on structured journeys to find root causes and root lifetimes that impact upon or have impacted upon current experiences and why people are the way they are. So when you went and you saw other versions of yourself, looking back now, were you shown um, other versions of yourself that um, explain something to do with who you are right now or were you shown um, yourself in in, uh, in another lifetime or lifetimes, uh, do you think, purely to show yourself that you have existed before? Yeah, good question. I remember Quarrel or the book saying that the minute details, which is really a human desire, you know, I'd love mm -hmm. to know, you know, why does two plus two equals four? You know, we like that exactness. Uh, so it, 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 I totally get it. I'm the same. I like that. I like to understand why things are the way they are. Uh, it, it, there's sort of a, 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 not a caution, but it's saying don't get caught up in that. Just like don't get caught up in why did that image, that image of this horrible, scary thing come from this angle. Yeah. Instead, you're just constantly being brought back to the, the purpose of the trip is to just face these, as Huxley said, these doors of perception. And that's really, that's really where I got it. Oh my gosh. You know, with this feeling like I'm coming up against my death, I'm coming up against, I'm going to die. Oh my God, I'm dying. I'm dead. Oh, the sadness, the missed opportunities and everything. Now it's just the whole thing. You're staring at the eyes and you just do this and you're experiencing all of it. And then suddenly you're on the other side and it's really like, there's one of my favorite movies is a comedy with Bruce Willis. It's a futuristic thing. God, what is it called? Oh, he's like, he it's, oh, I can't. Oh, the fifth dimension, the fifth yes. element, the fifth element. Okay. There's a comedian, a black comedian there. Who's like the plays a character, but anyways, there's a one scene where everything's being shot up and he's screaming and he's going, Oh, and the screen just lasts and lasts, lasts till all the dust settles and he's still screaming. Oh, and then he kind of looks around like, well, I guess I'm done screaming. Well, that's kind of how it is, is that you're experiencing. And then all of a sudden you go through this door and you're so caught up in I'm dying. It's dead. And this is death. And this is over. This is everything. It's done. Life is all. And then you look behind you and you realize it's a perception. It's a door of perception. That's all it is. So that was really the purpose of it. Yeah. And as you're going through these multiple doors of perception, it was very easy for me to all of a sudden see a, a soldier uniform and then seeing my face in there. And it would have been, and, and of course there's a part you just goes, stop the movie. Yeah. 
what year was that? What's your name? What did you do? Did you, were you a bad person or were you a good person? Did you shoot anybody? You know, did you treat people nice? What I mean, I want to know. And you just learn to just keep going. And what start what happened for me, luckily, was the feeling of like it goes on forever. I remember, I remember a number coming through and going, this is 1800 lives I have just seen. And I, I can't even stop. I basically, I am all of it. I'm all of it. I'm every single one of these things. Uh, and I could have, I could have, you know, like reeling through a, you know, like a tape or something. You, you could stop and I could have lived in some past life and really learned the whole thing. And I could, have, you know, well, I think one of the things too, you, you, you figure out without getting too entangled in it is that, you know, you've been a bit, a little bit of Jesus. You've been a little bit of Hitler and, Oh my gosh, you know, and never again, you know, uh, and I don't have any specifics of things where I was like a bad person, but there was this sense of like, you don't go through this scot-free <laughs> little joke there. I don't know if you guys yeah. used to get, <laughs> you don't go through it, you know, just, yeah. you know, you, you got here through that. So it doesn't matter. And and again, that's the whole self-love thing is the yeah. forgiveness that comes flooding through you that, you know, like it can choke me up even now. It It's almost like we need another term for self-love because it sounds narcissistic. I know it does, doesn't it? Yeah. Self-compassion is probably what we're really talking about with the forgiveness element because, like you said, to ha- to be where you are, you have had to have had dense, difficult lifetimes, easy lifetimes, and phenomenally spiritual lifetimes. You can't yeah. have any of those without each other. Oh, 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 this is so good. Because one of the places that I saw much of humanity getting caught up in is being the victim. Mm. Because at some point, we were the victim. Yep. We were horribly persecuted to the to an amount that we can't relive because it's so bad. We were persecuted horribly at some point. At some point, it could have been anything as a little newborn that took its first breath and persecuted. It could have been, you know, 30 years in a jail. It could have been torture. It could have been anything. It doesn't matter. But what this experience allows you to do and the work you're doing with people is allow you to you're not that any more that's right you're not that and i think for me um what created the urgency for me was covid because Suddenly, like no time other in my lifetime this time around, have we collectively experienced a fear of death so great that it stopped the world. You know, we suddenly have a virus that is killing people. And no matter what your beliefs are on anything to do with the pandemic, take all the all of the side discussions away. It's a virus which makes us question who we are, how we lead our lives, 
And what the heck happens if we die from it? Because that's the biggest fear. I'm going to die from the coronavirus and I will not exist. And there's just this massive collective grief associated with the fact of that. And for me, so this is part of my processing the last two years of life to not to diminish anybody's grief because the virus is also a virus which attacks the lungs, right? The lungs is how we process grief. So it's to say, I see your grief. This has been a time like no other. But if the possibility is there that you are ready to hear this message, then I want to let you know that should anything happen to you right now, you will go on. And I say that not to diminish the tragedy of dying a mortal death of COVID, but to tell you that it's okay. We'll see you again. We'll see you again. You'll see yourself again. Yeah. Yeah. And hopefully with even fewer constructions and constructs and limitations and blocks and beliefs and you know with more of the openness and awe that is possible out there without labels without trying to box it without you know <laughs> one of the 1800 lives <laughs> that's right yeah there's you know there yeah. there there are plenty of plenty of lives and um tell me so you did this exploration and i know from your message that this changed everything for you. Tell me how it changed things for you in terms of what you did with your life from an interest perspective, passions, and I guess I know that it turned into a career interest for you. Yeah, yeah, that's very interesting. Uh, well, you know, a lot of those journeys, you don't tend to, there's so much that goes on that people say, do you remember everything? In a way, you remember it all, but the details are difficult to like, speaking of constructs, they're difficult to put into the construct known as language or you know visualizations. But there were a few, and one of the most impactful ones was the first time that I experienced a death. My, I actually, um, and it may have been the first one, I don't know, but it was where I felt like, you know, I just, because what happened is I fell over from the weight of the sadness of death. Um, and I, I had music in the background that I'd set up. And this is, of course, back in real um, cassette tape time. <laughs> yeah. Back in the 1700s. And there was, you know, had this really, and it was beautiful music. To this day, if I hear one of the songs that uh, that I I can still go, oh God, that's still a beautiful song to me. They were all, and that was the other thing Carl had said. He says you you, you can't have music with words in it because words will trip you out. Mm. It has to be the language of the universal, which is music without mm. construct in it. So that's in the background. And I remember I was I had fallen over, and I was. 
it it was like a different kind of a weeping that I'd ever experienced. I could mm. just feel hot tears dripping and I could feel that this is it. And then I, I am dying. And I watched my body. I watched then muscles. I remember seeing the bones and I remember, you know, I'm, I'm watching everything just go and the sadness of that. Um, and the all of a sudden i just heard wind you know i'm in a room and i'm in a mountain uh you know small uh, actually it was a really cool house and i was in this peak place and you know i'd set it up with candles and all that but i was the only one there and i heard wind that i'm sure was in my head or something i don't know but it was just this really you know and you know how wind is when it's when it's going like across a field it's it's an extraordinary noise mm. it's really really one of the most beautiful sounds to me that we as humans can hear it's just that sound like that and i heard that and then all of a sudden i saw right as if it was right there the you know the carpet itself was where I was, was wheat. Now, I think you guys grow wheat in Australia. Okay. Well, wheat fields, and I, not in Wisconsin, but I, you know, see movies and I've been out to, you know, Nebraska and where they grow wheat, but wheat's an extraordinary looking plant, you know, especially when it's, when it's fairly grown, it can still be green, everything, but it's, it's got this beautiful movement. And mm. it was really one of, you know, humans first foods when we started to, get out of, you know, I don't know, the hunter and get, we, beyond, you know, when we were just running around with spears and, you know, that it was really one of the first that we started to, but, and it never held any meaning to me, you know, wheat. I was like, yeah, yeah, I eat bread. You know, that was kind of it, but there was, it's what woke me up this. And I had this, this message felt like the answer is food. The answer is plants. The answer is botany. This is this is how you make beautiful human beings. And I was just in shock. I was just it was such it was such a pure tone and pure message to me that I remember going, oh, which was really cool because I as I took that breath, I went, oh, that's just like the way a baby, you know. Mm comes out they're not they're not using their lungs that's really weird that's uh, i've actually never seen it and it's one of those like on my to-do list like please someone let me be there looking over the shoulder when a baby comes up i want to be there so i can watch that baby go like what how the heck does that work how does that work oh yeah yeah they're breathing through their belly button and then what and that's the way it felt i'm like oh and I took this breath and it was a breath of awe. And by the way, the word awe to me and that state of awe has forever, ever held a huge, huge reverence to me. If you ever watch someone watch fireworks or something, you know, and they're going, that to me is something humans should do more often is mm. experience moments of awe. Mm. My, my wife does it actually when she's around uh, trees. It's quite mm. amazing to watch she sees trees different than the rest you know a lot of people mm. me i love mm. trees but she's like you know and so there i was and taking that first breath of what new life and seeing this message come to me that was so not in like gentle it was just this is the key this is the key 
And from that, I, I, you know, I remember sitting up. And, you know, I could tell the experience was coming down now. I mean, I was still full of it, but I was like out. I was out. Uh, you know, the candle in the mirror, I saw all that. And I thought, I'm done. I, I've got it. Mm. And now how do I, you know, but the one thing that kept in my mind was that help, help people understand that connection, because that's how you make really, really good human beings. And that was my, that's been my career ever since I, you know, again, this is back for the internet. So how do you find the schools that teach the mm -hmm. diet, food, diet connection? And there was only two that I found at the time. And I wrote, you know, there was magazines like, you know, new age magazine or, you know, uh, botanical anyways, there was one, there was a, and I was like, that's the one I'll go there. And it was in Boston. And I don't know, a month later, I sent off a check for my first semester. And then when that ski area ended and I quit my jobs and everything like that. And uh, so I went off and studied that for nine months. And I basically been in it my whole life. My, the, that was back in uh, 80, uh, that was back in 83, 84. Okay. And so, yeah, that's, that was my, you know, they, I don't, I don't know if it has to be that way for everybody. I don't think that's the point. I don't think it has right. to like, I think we're going back, but that was mine. And yes, that's, that's my career now. And, and in fact, what, uh, what I've been doing since 2006 was learn was creating formulas that are now known as nootropics. Nootropics are any set of compounds or compounds or, or plants that increase some aspect of cognition. It can be focus and memory and loss of mental fog, you know, that uh, it can be motivation, but it can also be a lessening of uh, anxiety and a lessening of depression. Mm. And that's what these plants can do. And, and in fact, my story about the the uh, pandemic was deep, deep frustration of like, what are you doing, Scott? You've got to, you know, this is the thing that this is the only tool you have, Scott, to help in this area that we're talking about is go back, but this time go back. It's going to be better. And that was the phone call to my MD botanist friend that I had met when I was doing it earlier, like 10 years earlier. And I said, I, I want to get back into it. And he says, well, in a in this sweetest Indian accent, Eastern Indian accent, I don't want to uh, imitate it because I would be bad at it, and it probably isn't appropriate to do it. But he, you know, you can just people listening to us can imagine. He just said in this sing song voice, "Goes well, it's, it, your timing's very good because uh, there's a there's new technology out there that makes these the plant extraction ten times to fifteen times stronger than anything we were doing back." back when you were first doing it and and that's what propelled me so that's what we did during the pandemic is we created what we really believe is the most potent nootropic cognition brain tonic plant-based vegan formula out there and it is really really taking off like a storm here in in the states we just launched it september 1st okay great and um because i've been to the website but the listeners haven't can you just leave us uh, the name of your website, and then the, just give us a description of the product so that after the people have listened to, to finish listening to the podcast, they can go and have a little bit of a read about it. 
Yeah. And my name is, is unique that I'm the only Scott Ogren on the known universe, except if you go back to 1800 lifetimes, I bet you I was named that again, but so they'll find me no matter what, because the name is kind of long. Unfortunately, it's synaptic scientific. It's synaptic scientific and synaptic scientific is my website.com uh, and synaptic of course is you know, the synapses is in the brain. And we have one product, one very, very potent product called Cognition. And we actually ship all around. We've got, we've got quite a few, I say quite a few, you know, I've got a dozen maybe people that we ship to in Australia. So we ship bottles there and uh, that's what it is. And it's basically a mix of uh, eight active ingredients. Seven of them are Ayurvedic plants. So all of the plants are, have been used for, uh, you know, hundreds of years and they all have really nice studies that have shown their, their effect on cognition in some way. Uh, and, uh, and then we've just put them together in a really nice mix, what we call a stack. That's what, the, that's what they say in, in the in nootropic world. We've got this really nice stack. It's a very strong formula. It's quite bitter. You know, like a strong bitters, those who have been used to Chinese herbs or, you know, uh, um, herbal medicine. It's got a very strong taste. We, we, we soften it with a bit of orange and lemon and, uh, you know, a little bit of, uh, but there's no sugar in it or anything. It's either, it's extraordinary clean. There's no uh, uh, artificial um, preservatives in it. It's really quite stable. It took us a lot longer than I thought. <laughs> You know, that's what R&D is all about, but it's really nice. And I mean, you know, it's really extra quite extraordinary. And how do you take it? Is it just straight? You know, you just, uh, it, it's in, in a top. Oh, that one's, uh, let's see. This one. So just squirt it into your mouth. Yeah, exactly. It's just. Okay. So for people who are used to doing, say, taking like flower essences or something like that, or a homeopathic formula, they're used to the um, sublingual. Correct. And for that matter, you know, sometimes, you know, you can mix as you can with those, a lot of those things, mix it with tea. I oftentimes will uh, put it into a teaspoon so I know how much I'm seeing because the mm -hmm. pump sometimes does it, you know, it's, it's yeah. kind of viscous. It's kind of thick. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And so I put it into a spoon. And then I uh, chase it with some lemonade or some orange juice or some citrus. But some people t write in and say it works really good with my morning tea. Okay, so, yeah. you know, yeah. And it's just a once a day or twice uh, a day? Yeah, once or twice. I, I have some older folks who say I take two pumps every couple of hours and wow, okay. is it, you know, so it, you know, everyone plays around with it differently. It depends, you know, we're all different. Mm, interesting. Because I know like, for example, uh, I have used copaiba essential oil to really help with cognition and periods of peak um, concentration for myself. I have experience with taking it every couple of hours just because it was something that I just really wanted to chow down on and do. So that's interesting that the the older people who really wanted to have a enhanced cognitive experience have tried um, with taking it more frequently. So yeah. And in fact, where, where nootropics really started to be, uh, take hold in the world culture was in the Silicon Valley, you know, coders, those type of, uh, you know, knowledge workers that had the focus for hours that, you know, you wanted something like even just that. I mean, as I just took a couple and I can already feel 
this sense of focus, like I want to get it done. And so it's really popular with those with those girls. Joe Rogan, you know, who's got a huge podcast. He he does nootropics. He, he's can, never yeah. tried mine, I don't think. But yeah. <laughs> well, there you go. That's uh, you need to see if you can get yeah. that podcast. Come on, yeah. Joe. Yeah. <laughs> and um, what about then for say if you're going to do like a meditation session or something like that? Is it is it appropriate or is that to is it is your mind not the right situation for, for, I find it is, but everyone's going to be different. And where that was really where I thought, yeah, it's okay to say that was, you know, when, I mean, I traveled in Tibet and not like to do a big spiritual journey, but one of the things that they do is they drink their green tea before they meditate. And I thought, yeah, yeah, just a little bit, just to get that mind. Okay, here we go. We're going to be tuned in, sharpened up. Here we go. So this doesn't have any caffeine, but that gives you an yeah. idea. The caffeine yeah. is actually a classic nootropic and they, it is useful in the right amount, small amounts to just center the mind. Yeah. Perfect. Okay, so I will link in the show notes um, or in the comments for the YouTube version of this, Scott's website, so you can go and have a read about his product and give it a, a whirl. So this has been a really, truly fascinating discussion. I could sit on here with you for another hour or two and just chat. I've purposely tried to be quiet because there are so many things that I could have just gone off on a tangent and had a good discussion with you about. But I was like, no, I just want to hear Scott's story. We can do that another time. So thank you so much. Is there anything else oh. that you would like to um, leave listeners and viewers with as a thought, an impression, or anything that you'd like to urge them to consider or last thought? Yeah. And again, I've never, I've never said this to people because it was always, maybe it was because I was so anti, you know, structured, uh, you know, spiritual aspect, but I really think what many people in the world are missing right now is exactly what you're trying to turn them on to. And that is you are more than this body and this mind. And you want to have that experience in this lifetime. You want to have that visceral experience of, oh my gosh, I, I have. And even when I, you, when I left you that message, I, I'm even the constructs of before and after this lifetime don't even do it. Because then they, that makes him think, well, okay, was it the 1400s? And uh, you mean I'm going to be here, you know, when, it, you know, in the year 4000, you know, it's nothing, it's bigger. It's just, you just want to have that sense of like, this goes on and has been going on and I'm a part of it and we're all part of it. And I, I would just implore listeners to get a hold of you, Katish, and have them help you. I use plant medicine to do it, but as you know, there are so many other ways. And I mean, Roxanne, my wife, you know, looking at trees, she has that sense of the awe and the, I've been here and this is huge and it goes on and this is important. So I would encourage people, especially those suffering from fear, anxiety, doubt, and all of that, because you don't need to. You don't need to. It's actually pretty cool what we're involved in here. Mm. And if you have fear, 
the moment that you can realize that you are not your emotions and your thoughts and therefore you are not all of the things that hold you back, that you are from the pure field of potential, you are pure consciousness, you are source, you come from everywhere all at once, you can be anything and everything. I think that gives you this immense freedom to just be and yeah. allow yeah yeah allow whatever it. needs to unfold to uh, to unfold <sighs> well thank you and i will end this episode here so thank you to all the listeners listeners of the podcast who knows what the next episode will be i just let it rip and uh uh see what life wants to send me so thank you again scott and that my friends is the end of this episode I look forward to spending more time with you next time. For further information about past life regression therapy, you can visit my YouTube channel where I upload quick one-minute shorts to answer your questions and longer videos for special topics. You can also book an introductory appointment on my website at katish.com where we will discuss the issues that are presenting in your life and the best options for you, be they age regression, past life regression, life between lives or sound healing or a combination of the above. All my sessions incorporate a therapeutic approach and are conducted online via Zoom, so it doesn't matter where in the world you live. Until then, take care. Namaste. Namaste.